Welcome to Still Dead from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert and self-analyzing little wanker, Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm researcher and series of concussively timed intervals, Dr. Kelly Jones. And we are here today to talk about Angel Season 5, Episodes 15 and 16, A Hole in the World and Shells, both of which are watchers. The girl of your dreams loved you. That's more than most people get, but it's not enough. So let's raise the stakes. In A Hole in the World, we open with a flashback to Fred before she left Texas for Los Angeles, promising her parents she will live a boring life. In the present, our sarcophagus arrives in the lab, and when Fred touches it, it shoots air at her. She becomes sick immediately, and the team discovers that she's been infected with the essence of a demon trying to make their way back into the world. While Wes takes Fred home and nurses her there, Angel and Spike rush off to England, where they go into the deeper well, a hole in the world that stores the essences of the old ones, the demons that were on Earth before humans. One sarcophagus went missing, teleported to Los Angeles. The essence of the demon is liquefying Fred's organs to use her shell as a vessel to come back to life. Drogon, who watches over the well, has a spell that can reverse it, but if Angel uses it, thousands of other people will die. Back at Fred's apartment, she suffers and dies, and then comes back to life as a blue-haired demon named Illyria. A Hole in the World aired on February 25th, 2004. It was written and directed by Joss Whedon. All right, Dr. Jones, oh my God, this is such... The, these two episodes are so good and so intense and really draining to watch and talk about. So our energy might be a little bit lower tonight, but I think we've got some good things to talk about. On your perfect happiness scale, with Stake This at Zero and Lost Your Soul at Six, where are you with a hole in the world? So I gave this a perfect six. Um, mm -hmm. This is one, like maybe the one defining episode of Angel for me. Uh, the scene of Wesley reading A Little Princess to Fred on oh, her deathbed God. is etched on my heart. And, mm -hmm. and I really watched these two episodes as one episode. Yeah. And the mm -hmm. bookend flashbacks, you know, A Hole in the World starts with young Fred at home getting ready to leave for the excitement and mm -hmm. promise of L.A. And then at the end of Shells, you know, she's driving away from home. And it's so sadly beautiful but yeah. and and like you're saying about the energy of this like it's so intense and it's so mm. heart-wrenching and thought-provoking but like and you know me I can laugh at almost anything but right. there's not like I don't have a whole lot of giggling to do this time yeah but when I think about perfect episodes of television like episodes mm -hmm. that I watch that are just flawless it's mm -hmm. Buffy conversations with dead people Firefly, mm -hmm. Out of Gas, The West Wing, Two Cathedrals, Sherlock, oh, yeah. A Scandal in Belgravia, Doctor Who, Blink, and Angel, A Hole in the World. Like I That think is an excellent, excellent list of amazing episodes of television. Yep. Those are those are my perfect, perfect TV. Um, mm -hmm. so I can't give it any higher praise than that. But but Joss Whedon, like oh what God. did we do to you, man? Like who hurt you? <laughs> like <laughs> God, baby, come on. Yeah. Joss Whedon is such a particular kind of talent. Um, mm -hmm. and he has this ability to kind of like just reach into your body and grab your heart. 
and just wrench it around a little bit. Um, I also gave this a six. Um, This is probably one of the best written episodes of Angel and one of the most heartbreaking. Everything from the concept behind Illyria to the amazing dialogue, the relationship between Spike and Angel, who I will argue are truly soulmates. Yeah. Um, we have Knox's fanaticism, which finally makes him interesting. We have Guns realizing what he did and then beating Knox brutally. This agonizing suffering of both Fred and Wesley. It is terrible and wonderful. And the dialogue is so unbelievably crisp. And the thing that I love about Joss Whedon dialogue is that when it's at its best, it is spare and it is like unyielding like it will just absolutely attack you Mm -hmm. so i mean in this episode i really have nothing to stake i mean not even eve which is a big day for me wow (laughs) wow (laughs) well and i i felt bad i think i have one tiny thing to stake um that's really so minor that i don't even know that Mm -hmm. it counts but i had had one tiny thing that i almost staked but i didn't i don't think i picked it I put so much in moments of perfect happiness and then wrote like a dissertation in research mode. And I was like, maybe I should cut this down, but I just like none of these darlings should die. Like it's just, this is so fucking brilliant. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love how it, to me, like there's such a huge callback to Fredless from season three. Mm -hmm. And now we are literally about to end up Fredless, mm-hmm. that it yes. just like hit this, you know, this chord. Um, mm-hmm. And I love this young Fred, you know, I'm going to study, I'm going to learn every yeah. damn thing they know up there and then figure out some stuff they don't. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah, sweetie. And and she did. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, she truly did. Um, and, you know, I don't like bugs. And of course, Fredless was also a bug episode but when when fred is talking about the bugs and she's like Mm -hmm. they reproduce by vomiting up crystals that attract and mutate the microbes you know and wesley (laughs) goes are you trying to turn me on i know oh my god i know it's so it's so good like when my sweetheart conjugates verbs in latin I have the same response. Uh, <laughs> you know? uh, 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 it's like, oh my God, Wesley. I uh, love it. I love it. But this Fred, I mean, it's so unfair that we get mm-hmm. the best Fred we have ever had I in the know. episode where we leave, you know, where we lose mm-hmm. Fred. Um, mm-hmm. But I, you know, this, this whole thing. And, and I never thought I would say this, like either in a philosophical or sarcastic context, mm-hmm. but the poetic echo of the fight between cavemen and astronauts is yeah, so yeah, well yeah. done in this yeah. episode. Oh my god, I know. I mean, if you want to talk about how to run a motif through a story. And when we have this argument that seems like it's just one of these ridiculous arguments that they do for a laugh and then that's it. Mm-hmm. Have it actually connect thematically to everything else that's going on here to where Fred says cavemen, of course, the cavemen always win. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And so it's just yeah. like there are pieces of it everywhere starting mm-hmm. with you know fred and that sarcophagus because yeah fred is an astronaut her curiosity mm-hmm. is stronger than her survival instinct yeah um you know and then we just get so much good fred you know she's in the hospital mm-hmm. 
And she says yeah. to Wes, you've got to go be book man. Yeah. And then he reads to her while she dies. And I'm like, just kill. Like, I'm dead. I'm dead now. I know. I know. You know? And and yeah. when she stumbles back to the lab, you know, because she's going to work that problem. And Wesley mm-hmm. says, you know, oh Fred, God. you can't be doing this. And she says, I am exactly the person to be doing this. You have to lie down. I am not. I am not the damsel in distress. I am not some case. I have to work this. I'd lived in a cave for five years in a world where they killed my kind like cattle. I am not going to be cut down by some monster flu. I am better than that. And I'm like, yes, yes, astronaut. Yes, you are. You know? Yes. I'm like, Mm -hmm. God, sweet, good, brilliant Fred. You are such an astronaut losing to the Mm -hmm. caveman here. Um, Yeah. And when she collapses into Wesley's arms and she says, this is a house of death. Yeah, And I was like, yeah, that is exactly what Wolfram and Hart is. Like for mm-hmm. all of the interesting, you know, crunchy, shades of gray, chaotic evil that we put around it. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, Wolfram and Hart is a house of death. And yeah. and again, like what you were talking about with the dialogue, this simple statement that just echoes through the whole mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Is so brilliant. Um, but, you know. When she says to Wesley, you know, he takes her home and she says, read to me and she can choose. And oh, my God, I might cry on a fucking episode about Angel. (laughs) This is ridiculous. (laughs) This is ridiculous. These two episodes are killer episodes. I cried while making my notes. I cried watching them. It was. It's it's so crazy. You know, and she Mm -hmm. says, read to me and she can choose any book in the world. She wants the little princess by Frances Hodges mm-hmm. Burnett, you know, and yeah. that book in the in the opening, it's not the first line, but in the opening talking about Sarah Crew, you know, it says she was always mm-hmm. dreaming and thinking odd things. She felt as if she yeah. had lived a long, long time. And like mm-hmm. that was my comfort wish fulfillment go to book as a child. And yeah. being read oh, to, wow. yeah, I mean, being read to is the single most comforting thing that I can imagine. Mm-hmm. But you know, I went to um, A Wrinkle in Time for, like, a sense of the world, and I went mm-hmm. to Anne of Green Gables for a sense of myself, but I went to A Little yeah. Princess for, like, a sense of hope, mm-hmm. and having that here, and I was like, oh, my God, I just can't even, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then she says, you know, cavemen win, of course. The cavemen win. Mm-hmm. Um and, and, you know, and all she wants is for Wesley to stay with her, to read to her, to kiss her. Yeah. And she says to him, would you have loved me? And he said, I've loved you since I've known you, maybe even before. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. Jesus. You know, it just kills me. Like, it kills me. Yeah. Fred in this episode is so amazing. And I love that moment. I'm not a damsel in distress, right? Because we do damsel the women in this show, Mm -hmm. like all the time. And here we are damseling her and they take her out and she is fighting. I am exactly the person who should be working this, you know? Um, I mean, I love everything about her. I love that moment when she starts to sing and then you see Lauren's face right before she coughs up the blood. Yes. Oh my God, that is such a beautiful and horrifying, you know, moment. And Wesley catches her. She falls back on the stairs. It's just so incredible. And then like when they're all around her bed and she goes, I haven't had this many strapping men at my bedside since that night with the varsity lacrosse team. <laughs> 
I mean, she's just so incredibly cute. And I love this moment, too, from Spike, where he says, I've fought plenty of mummies and none of them were as pretty as you. And then he goes, almost none. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I love that. And when she says, handsome man saves me. Yeah. You know, calling back to that with uh, when Angel saved her. Um, It's just, it's so incredibly heartbreaking and then you know we have her whole thing where you know she has wesley take her home they're there together he knows he's going to lose her he's trying to be strong for her she's suffering and she's crying and he's crying and then when she says i'm not scared i'm not scared tell my parents i was brave why can't i stay oh god it kills me and then me. she's just gone and it is so devastating and then like for me specifically like because of my own personal experience to have a monster show up wearing the face and body of the person that you love most in the world like that is a very very particular experience to a very particular kind of thing that I've had and to see it over in Still Pretty when we talked about, you know, Angel turning into Angelus and Surprise and Innocence and that whole last part of the run of season two of Buffy. And then this, you yeah. know, to go through that again, like for me, the moment when she wakes up and she's Fred, but she is no longer Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, that that sense of loss and yet haunting at the same time. It's so awful and so difficult for me to watch. Whenever I watch this, it is like, I mean, just a really, really tough couple of episodes to watch, but so beautifully done the whole way through. And I just, I mean, I and I'm also like, part of me is happy that Amy Acker got to do something a little more interesting. She'd been doing Fred for a while. There hadn't been a lot of growth. There hadn't been a lot of things for her to do, um, aside from the apparent medical degree that she got at some point. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, to play Illyria, and from the moment Illyria wakes up, you see what Amy Acker can do. Oh, yeah. And, She's oh my amazing. God. She's amazing. I mean, and so, like, it's horrible, and I hate it. But at the same time, I'm like, hot damn. Like, she is killing this performance. And I'm happy for her that she got to do something that interesting. An actress that good should get to do interesting stuff. So, yeah, it was, uh, oh, God, devastating, but wonderful. I know. And, you know, and then, of course, we get such great Wesley. And and it's funny because, you know, I love dark Wesley. Um, Yes. But this, this deeply Mm -hmm. happy in love quietly delighted playful wesley yeah is my favorite and he only exists for a few minutes in one episode of five yes. seasons but i love yes. him completely i know it's wonderful and we go from that to him shooting a guy in the leg in his office and then yeah which which okay now let me just okay this was something that like I almost was going to stake that because I was like, OK, like I understand Dark Wesley and I understand that these people working at Wolferman Hart are evil, you mm-hmm. know, right? They're evil lawyers. But still, I think that there's other ways that you can express it <laughs> than to shoot a human in the leg. In the leg. I mean- and then just very calmly say, please send anyone else who isn't working on Miss Burkle's case to me. I was like, holy damn darkness, Wesley. That is, yeah. Wow. That is, 
you know, I mean, and again, this is a guy who kept a woman in a closet with a bucket. <laughs> so let's not forget that we do have a rather high bar for darkness, you know, when it comes to Wesley. Um, but that almost felt, um, you know, like what he had to gain out of that, out of shooting this guy. And, and what is it with Wesley and all the guns? We always have these <laughs> dual gun things with him. Like, I, I don't know. It feels it feels really weird. I would rather have him be cruel with words like you know fire the guy maybe Mm -hmm. or something rather than fire at them um that felt a little bit a a little bit strange and and shocking in a way that i didn't feel like was was in harmony with the rest of the episode um but at the same time it is you know it's dark wesley and dark wesley is dark man yeah i I mean but then to turn around and so the same guy you know then is tending lovingly to this Mm -hmm. woman on her deathbed and says angel and spike are on their way to finding your cure and i shouldn't like to be the thing standing in their way and i'm like wesley sweetheart at this moment you're a whole lot scarier than angel and spike i know really and that's the thing (laughs) is that you you have him being so wonderful and loving to her and yeah and this is the problem this is the essential problem with wesley you know is that he is terrible in a lot of ways he is truly terrible mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and with somebody whose soul is that dark and again like you know we don't know we're going to talk about this in a little bit but we don't know what he experienced what actually or what he believes happened to him um so we don't know how dark he got in this particular, I don't know, brain space of reality or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that that kind of darkness kind of precludes, I think, a belief in also that a, a love that doesn't also encompass that darkness. Because for him to love anybody with his whole soul, even the dark parts, means that that love is also going to have darkness in it. And for Fred, I don't want that. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. So like that, that uh, I couldn't stake anything in this episode, but that was that I got close with that. Yeah. Well, it actually worked for me and I'm not sure why. Mm-hmm. I yeah. believed it completely. But Mm -hmm. and maybe it's the whole idea of like intellectual memory versus muscle or instinctual memory. Like Wesley doesn't have the true memories from season four, but his instinctual reactions are Mm -hmm. still there. Yeah. Like that, that the darkness that he became is still there, even if he doesn't remember the story. Right. Which seems to me like a very interesting limitation of that memory spell. Yeah. Um, But yeah, but I was like, oh, no, we've got two vampires with souls on a mission. Mm -hmm. And the dude who is currently the most unhinged is the librarian. Right. So, (laughs) okay. Kind of love it. Kind of love it. Right. Oh, God. But I had so many moments of perfect happiness with Angel and Spike. Oh, my God. Um, Yes. At the beginning, Angel is standing there with that giant sword just run through his body. I know. <laughs> and he <laughs> says to Spike, you just like stabbing me. And Spike is like, I am shocked, shocked that you would say that. I much prefer hitting you with blunt instruments. <laughs> like, oh, my God. I these love, two. I love their whole 
thing, their whole brotherly, you know, um, relationship. And I really do think that these two are true soulmates. Yeah, I see them more as soulmates than yeah. brothers. But yeah, and, and, you know, they're shouting at each other and shouting mm-hmm. at each other. And we don't know what they're shouting about. And, you yes. know, Wes walks in and Angel's like, look, it was mostly theoretical. Right. You I know. love that. And, and then this look on Wesley's face when they say astronauts versus cavemen. Uh, and he goes, uh, uh, you've been yelling at each other for 40 minutes about this. <laughs> and then he just pauses and he says, do the astronauts have weapons? Right. And like, <laughs> but so what we get here, though, really is raw human nature mm-hmm. versus the human application of curiosity and ingenuity. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Survival versus exploration. Yes. And Wesley's first instinct is team astronaut. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is like, OK, like one more reason that, you know, maybe I would put Wesley and Fred together. Yeah. Um. And then, and I, I love how it runs through the episode as both a joke and a serious theoretical yeah. punch. Yeah. Because, uh, like, Spike comes into Angel's office later and he's like, Harmony just pulled me out of a very promising poker game down in accounts receivable, so this better be good. <laughs> and by the way, all the guys down there agree that astronauts don't stand a chance against cavemen, so don't even start. <laughs> and. <laughs> And, you know, so you have, like, all of the science and magic at Wolfram and Hart Mm -hmm. as the astronauts versus this raw, ancient, primal force of Illyria with the cavemen. And the cavemen really do win. Yes. Yes. You know? And, I, God, I fucking love it. Well, see, the Um, cavemen... But the thing that's interesting about this argument, not to get off on a side (laughs) tangent, the thing to me that is interesting about this argument is that in the fight, in the moment cavemen who have been surviving in like you know really primitive conditions yes they win that fight but eventually all cavemen become astronauts that that is the natural evolution of humanity of the way that we move forward we're always creating we're always you know bringing in new things and exploring and finding information and and utilizing it so that we can do more and be more you know Mm -hmm. so i find it a really interesting because in a you put two cavemen and two astronauts in a fight the cavemen are going to kill (laughs) you know yep but eventually astronauts will astronauts are always the future astronauts are always the end game that's always where men are going to end up so i i find that kind of an interesting argument i do too but i think it's interesting because not everyone makes that evolution Mm -hmm. like yeah true you know and some people choose not to Mm -hmm. um so it, it, it i don't know i just love how well it was done um, and I love Angel trying to break up with Spike. No, oh, I know. <laughs> Spike's like, are you saying we should start annoying other people? And I know. <laughs> and like making him this huge offer, like, I'll give you money, I'll give you cars, I'll mm-hmm. give you whatever you want. Just right. get the hell out. Right. His alimony and, payment. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's so good. Oh, God, I love it's it. It's so good. And I love Spike. You know, jumping on this fight to say, Fred, yeah. you know, like, not this girl, not this day. Yes. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And and there is this, like, there, and I have serious issues with the way women are treated on the show. And mm-hmm. I have a whole damn thing in research mode that we will get to. <laughs> but, but there is, there is some very 
beautiful grace here mm-hmm. with positive, loving, masculine energy. Yeah. That we see each of these men calling on their strength and power mm-hmm. to try to save Fred, you know. Yeah. And and she says, you know, my boys. Yeah. And they're they're kind of in their circle. They're all saying, you know, Lauren's like, I'll come along if somebody needs to sing. And Wesley's mm-hmm. like, I'm hitting the books. And, you know, Spike and Angel are going off together and Gunn's going up to talk to the conduit. And, yeah. you know, and then Angel says, guys. And Wesley says, you don't have to say it. And Angel says, I'll say it anyway. Winifred Burkle, go. Mm-hmm. And you see them all out trying so hard. But also in that moment, Fred is alone. Mm-hmm. Because we have literally killed off every other woman on the show. Exactly. And we will we will get to that. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did love that. And I love Spike and Angel's first plane ride. I know. Like, oh, they're really old. And this is their first. <laughs> I know. <laughs> their first time on a plane. <laughs> you know. Um but and and then you know sort of seeing i think angel mm-hmm. sees the way this is going to end yeah. before they get there i yeah. think angel knows this is a lost cause before they go mm-hmm. you know but he says i can't lose fred and spike says you won't and angel says i lost Corey. yeah like this is a thing i know can happen mm-hmm. and it's so sad yeah but i think like the most poetic expression of of all this tragedy is spike at the deeper well yeah you know saying this goes all the way through to the other side there's a hole in the world it feels like we ought to have known yeah and oh god i mean god oh (laughs) my god so it's so beautiful it's so beautiful and that whole representation of this this old evil you know, in the ground, but you can't destroy it. You know, this right. ancient darkness that will just always, always be there. Uh, because once created, it just can't be destroyed. And I find that such an interesting idea. And the whole idea of the deeper well and Drogon and all of that is just so unbelievably beautiful. I want the TV series that's Drogon. Yes, Drogon. <laughs> I want it. I want it now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and then surprisingly, I have a section of Moments of Perfect Happiness called Lorne and Eve. No, right? <laughs> I know. Right? Talk I about mean, a surprise. Holy Holy shit, because we have Eve finally, mm-hmm. really vulnerable. Yes. And Angel's threat to her, mm-hmm. you know, he says this happens quickly yeah. or very, very slowly. Right. And then before he makes a move, Lorne punches her. Lorne <laughs> knocks her ass yes. back. And I yes. was like, oh, my God. And Lorne gets in her face uh-huh. and says, Fred once said to me, I think a lot of people would choose to be green. Your shade, if they had the choice. And and he said, if I hear one note, a quarter note, that tells me you had any involvement, these two won't even have time to kill you. Oh, my God. And I'm I like, know. dark, Lorne. Hello, you know? baby. <laughs> Hello. I know. It's so wonderful. But then we get some good Eve. So she mm-hmm. has to sing for Lorne. Yep. And the song that she sings is the song that Lindsay sang when he played at Caritas. Oh, I didn't realize that. And it's, yep, it's L.A. song. She sings the first oh. couple lines. And and then she is actually the only one 
who is actually able to help them. You know, she tells them about the old ones. Mm -hmm. You know, she knows how Wesley's source books work. She says, tell him to look for the books that are forgotten, Mm -hmm. the oldest scrolls. You'll need to find the deeper well. And just like in the Garden of Eden, they get their knowledge from Eve. Yeah. And like, that was really well done. Yeah. No, it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, for both Lorne. Um, and in the next episode, I will be talking a little bit about Lorne um, because we have a lot of missed opportunities there. Um, but I yeah. mean, I love Lorne. They won't even have time to kill you. Like, I love yeah. that. Um, and I love like Eve in this scene is the only time I've ever liked Eve at all. And I think that like there's a sense of vulnerability that you get from her. Like she's lost everything. She's scared. She's alone. She doesn't know where Lindsay is. He's with the senior partners, whatever the hell that means, you know. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, and she's, you know, truly, truly vulnerable. And the the actress, the way that she plays that vulnerability, I think is really well done. Um, I, I like all of it in this scene. And I love seeing that side of Lauren. Oh, yeah, me too. And then we get some amazing gun. Oh, my God. He goes up to the white room, which he's the only one of these characters who does that on a regular basis. Right. Mm -hmm. And ends up fighting himself. Oh, my God. I know. Right. What do you know? It's just me. Mm -hmm. And. You know, the physical form of the conduit is determined by the viewer because how we perceive ourselves is not who we really are. Yeah. And, you know, the conduit says, I'm not your friend. I am not your flunky. And Gunn tries to trade his life. He says, you can have mine. And the conduit says, I already do. Oh, my God. And I was like, yes, because real power doesn't make deals. I know. I know, and, but this is, it's so fantastic. And by the way, J. August Richards playing oh the conduit. God. Oh yes. my God. I mean, talk about like these actors getting a chance to really show what they're capable of. Oh yeah. my God. He was so great. You have him looking at himself, dressed exactly the same, looking exactly the same, and you can tell which is which when they're not saying anything. Oh, it's God. unbelievable. His face. His whole, you know, oh, it's unreal. It's so freaking good. Yep. And then we get him, you know, back in his office threatening someone on the phone. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, I'm not talking about a lawsuit. I'm talking about bones that go crunch. Oh, and I was like, yeah, here we go. Astronauts Astronauts versus versus cavemen cavemen. again, (laughs) you know, and (laughs) and then the, the realization and the look on his face when Knox says, it got stuck in customs, but you took care of that. Oh, my God. And then, of course, Gunn beats the hell out of him. But yeah. but that realization, I did this. Like, yeah. I, and, and he knew, like, he knew something bad was going to happen. I mean, he yeah. had no idea it would be this. He had no idea it would be Fred. Right. But realizing that he was the linchpin that let this plan work. Well, he knew it would be somebody. He yeah. just didn't think it would be one of his somebodies. And that, by the way, very interesting. You know, choices are the heartbeat of fiction. You want to yep. tell a good story, make your characters make really difficult choices and then live with the consequences of those choices, because that is where like the meat of fiction and storytelling is, because it's in our choices that we learn who we are. 
you know, and he just found out who he is. And he is a person who would have done this to somebody else. But because it's one of his people, now it's a problem. And that is a very difficult thing to live with. Yeah. And and talk about brilliant character development. So Mm -hmm. then we get Drogon, Mm -hmm. who we have for a matter of mere minutes. Oh, my God. So amazing. Oh, my God. I love this whole thing. And I kept thinking about your, like, strength, vulnerability, weaknesses, triangle. And I'm like, a character who cannot lie. Oh, my God. And when he says, if you ask me a question, I will kill you. Like the I mean, the thing is, like the trauma of not being able to lie, you know, so that if anybody asks you a question, you know, um, and then I love that later where Spike rattles off all these questions at him. He's like, go ahead. Try to kill me. (laughs) And he does it again. And he's like, that was a statement. I'm like, Spike, stop poking the bear, man. Like, stop it. This guy has been through enough, Spike. Leave him alone. But I mean, you can see the trauma in this character. Like, you can see without it telling anything. And this is the thing. This is why you don't need exposition if you're writing a character really well. Like, just with the few things, with the way he reacts to questions, with all of that, Mm -hmm. you can see the trauma in his face. You know, you can see what he's experienced without needing to know the specifics of any of it. This guy has been through the shit. I mean, it is ask me a question and die, bitches. Like, yes, but but his and again, this goes back to what you were saying about simple dialogue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He explains so much in so few words. You know, he says Illyria was fierce and beloved as few are. Mm -hmm. My charges are not, you know, are not few like mm-hmm. my charges are many and there's yeah. thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands you know and it's so understated yeah that you you get that pressure that was on him you get that over impossible job yeah. mm-hmm. that he has you know and he as he's explaining to angel it's not this big convoluted explanation it's yeah. that he says yes i can call it back and every person between here and where you came from will die right it, it's so oh simplistically God. explained, you know? Yeah. No, and, it's beautifully and done. Yeah. And he sums the whole thing up and he just says, this is a place of madness. Mm-hmm. And it, it echoes off of Fred, this is a house of death. Yes. And you're like, oh, Jesus, this is so well done. I know. And then all he says to Angel is, I'll prepare the spell, your choice. Yeah. And Angel's first instinct is the hell with the world. Yeah. And you know he wants to so badly. Right. He wants to, mm-hmm. you know, but then he he has to pull himself back. And oh, my God. I mean, yeah. this is like perfect happiness after perfect happiness. I know. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it, really, it really is. I mean, this episode, I, I had forgotten how good it was because it's so difficult to watch. You know, it is mm-hmm. so difficult to watch. And um I, I all I remember about this episode from the last time that I watched it was just like how incredibly heartbreaking it is. But when you're actually looking at it critically and you see how well all of this is done, how beautifully all of this is done, it's unbelievable. It's kind of breathtaking. I mean, it really is. Um, and like I said, I only had one <laughs> tiny thing that mm-hmm. I was going to stake, but just that one, like, uncomfortable nod back to this love triangle with Wesley and Gunn and Fred. And, you know, and I like it like 
it didn't feel like Wesley was asking for ownership or permission. Like he was really just saying, as my friend, are you okay with this? Yes. But Gunn teasing him, you know, saying, oh, my Mm -hmm. God, Wes, I'm getting back with Fred. Like, yeah, that was not cute. That was not like what why even go there it was it was a kind of a dick move and yeah you know and he's like well it's my right and i'm like no it's not really like you and fred have been over for a long time and wes is your friend and you've known that he loves her he gun knew that wes loved her back when he and fred started dating yeah you know and but then they did, you know, the the conversation that followed was okay. Mm-hmm. But then Gunn says to Wes, when Wes asked him, you know, are you okay with this? Yeah. He says, last year, you wouldn't have asked me that question. And I'm like, God damn it. What do they think happened no, last year? I know. That whole thing makes me crazy. And here is the thing. For a show that loves flashbacks so goddamn much. Like, why couldn't they have given us one episode of the revised reality that oh. all of these people are living in? Oh, that my God. That would have been wonderful just to give us a sense so that we know what they think they experience so that we can kind of get a sense of, like, what is part of this reality for them and what isn't. Um, wow. Yeah, we should have had that. And that would not have been a flashback episode. That would have been the rewriting episode. You know, that would so have been fucking brilliant. And somewhere in that episode, there could have been a bucket and yes. Wesley could have taken yes. it away and yes. it would have been completely different. As but long it would as have we been didn't erase that perfect. moment. Exactly. But I mean, yes. like, the thing is, how much of it can you preserve without Connor? Because what could Wesley have done so bad that they all would have deserted him? You know, like, right. I mean, aside from taking Connor, like, what could he possibly have done? So all of that, I think, would have been really interesting. And it's just something that, that we should have had. Um, we yeah. needed that. There are things in this season we did not need. You know, we yeah, did oh, yeah, not need yeah. why we fight, right? No, 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 we didn't. No, Give us no, an we didn't. And in the beginning, telling us what the retcon but, is for these but guys. But that title, Why We yes. Fight, How dare with the they revision, that? Yes. that oh. would have been fucking perfect. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, you just blew my mind. That would have no, been amazing. We should have had that. We absolutely should have had that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. Well, damn. Well, I'm glad I did stake something just for that idea because that's brilliant. Um, (laughs) So that we'll move into research mode and I have a short one and then I have a not not short one. Yeah. Um, My thoughts. My thoughts are not few. Mm. (laughs) So I just I had this idea around like hope and Mm -hmm. goodness and like the powers of the universe and Mm -hmm. God and the powers that be whatever you want to call it. But Lauren says, you know, as Fred is dying, if none of you think it's silly, I'd like to pray. Yeah. And Wesley says, it's appreciated. Time is not on our side. And Spike says, nobody's on our side. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so who exactly are y'all praying to? Like, is there yeah. really not a force of good in this story world? Which maybe there's yeah. not. Yeah. But then the where that does that sense of to be. hope? Yeah, not at all. So where does hope come from? Yeah. If there's not a force for good. Well, you know, I mean, I think it comes down to to us, 
that we mm-hmm. are the force for good, that that's our goddamn job, you know, um, because that's what Angel always comes back to. If nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. You know, that you can you can pray to this outside force. And depending on what you believe about the universe, you know, I mean, prayer has been shown to be effective in, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, there may be something to that. But I think in the end, um, however you like to see that, if you are a person of faith or if you are like a, a staunch, you know, atheist or whatever, there mm-hmm. is um, there is something about the taking the the sense that we can't do anything and doing something right. And sometimes yeah. the, the only thing you can do is pray on the chance that it'll do something, you know? Um, So I find it, it's an interesting question though, in this particular story world, because the idea of God, like we have all of these things. And I talked about this a lot over on Still Pretty, because we talk about how we use the religious iconography, you know, from this like crosses and holy water and all that kind of stuff that'll hurt vampires, you know? Um, so we use all this religious iconography over, you know, mostly in, in Buffy, although some of it trails over here because we're still dealing with vampires. Uh, but we don't use it as much, I think, here as we do over there. Um, but using all of this really highly charged religious iconography, but separating it from the idea of religion, the idea of faith, the idea of God, even though we have a character, mm-hmm. right, who is central to both of these worlds named Faith, for Christ's right. sake. Like, um, An angel. <laughs> yeah, an angel, right? You angel, know, angel. Yeah, that there are, um, there are kind of whispers of the idea of there being like, I, I mean, what do we call Cordy? Was it a higher power? Right? You know, right. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the idea of God, and it is resisted everywhere. I think within the Buffy verse, this idea of God is is resisted. And then yet we have this moment where we have Lorne, who wants to pray and the idea of Lorne as a religious man, um, right. or demon. Um, you know, we've never I don't think we've ever really addressed that. Although it's clear that there are things to mystical, magical things to believe in. I mean, we've got witches, and we've got magical power, and we've got spells and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is kind of an interesting, like, dark space within. And by dark, I don't mean dark like evil, but dark like a dark hole, like a black hole that just like there's nothing there, you know, Yeah. Um, except yeah. this gravitational pull that we keep kind of going back to and dancing around and yet never addressing, never really looking at, never trying to understand. So it was an mm-hmm. interesting moment you know, to yeah. have that yeah. put in. It really was. And and it all, like all of those thoughts and the big ideas and the questions and the mm-hmm. tragedy and the heartbreak and the romance, like all of that, I just went through this whole thing and I was like, all right, a hole in the world is a fairy tale. Oh. And I've always associated Fred with fairy tales. Interesting. And, you know, in the beginning of this, like, she is the, at the beginning of what could be her happily ever after, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. if you want to read it that way. Mm-hmm. And fairy tales take a lot of different forms and flavors. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a very dark, tragic yeah. fairy tale. But it's still read that way for me. Because mm-hmm. when she is in that lab and the sarcophagus is there, 
she reaches out her hand so slowly Mm -hmm. and presses down on that crystal, just like Sleeping Beauty pressing her finger to prick it on that spindle wheel needle. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, back in Fredless, when she tells her trauma story, she tells it as a fairy tale. Right. You know, and when and and again, here in the hospital, she says again, handsome man saved me. Mm-hmm. And Angel says, that's how it works. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's how the Disney fairy tales work. Right. But not that's not how traditional fairy tales work. And in this world, Fred is not a fairy princess. You know, she says herself, yeah. I am not a damsel in distress. Mm -hmm. But the truth is no one can save her. Like not even true love's kiss can save her. She asks Wesley to kiss her and then she dies. Yeah. You know, and Mm -hmm. instead of the fairy tale princess, she is a sacrifice. Yeah. So this is a sacrifice that is purposeful by Knox Mm -hmm. and accidental by gun and a moral dilemma by angel yeah but she dies as a result of like glory sinking fanaticism Mm -hmm. from Knox and power sinking insecurity from gun and like good seeking heartbreaking utilitarianism from angel oh my god kelly that is some amazing analysis that is so good yeah (laughs) so this you know if you want to put like the innocent good girl in this Mm -hmm. fairy tale she is killed by a trinity of men's struggles priorities and choices which is a classic patriarchal virgin sacrifice exactly with a death that is triggered by her own curiosity and you know and so it it, when when i think about it that way i go back to that scene she wakes up in the hospital she is surrounded by wes gun lord spike angel Mm -hmm. and Knox, and she smiles and says it's my boys Yeah. And so this is a fairy tale warning Mm -hmm. that the patriarchal world is dangerous to women. This is a house of death. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is absolutely that is so fantastic. That is such a wonderful and dark read on this. And but I mean, appropriate, you know, and then as we'll get to in the next episode, there's the moment where Wesley says, um, you know, like, I I hate her for her curiosity, right? It was her curiosity that made her do this. And I almost hate her for it, you know, Yep. Um, that that women who are curious, right? And let's not forget, we have a character named Eve, who just gave them all this knowledge. Right. Yep. You know, um, but Eve was also blamed for everything. Right. You know, it was the evil woman and the serpent that, you know, gave the knowledge to this poor, innocent man who then took it and, you know, destroyed the world with it. Right. Right. Um, Oh, my God. Yeah. So then I was sitting there thinking, okay, like, I am a romantic who loves fairy tales. Mm -hmm. And I'm a romantic who loves like love and happiness and hope. And like, this is still one of my favorite shows of Mm -hmm. all time. So like, how can that be? Mm -hmm. Right. So I realized like this show is presenting a brilliantly constructed thesis on the world. Right. Mm -hmm. This episode is a perfect narrative of that thesis. Mm -hmm. In the world of Angel, the power of choice is stronger than the power of love. Mm-hmm. And there is no ultimate force for good in the universe. And hope is a human construct that is barely enough to live yeah. for. And I'm like, well, maybe that's why the opening music is basically heartache set to strings. Yes. 
But I think my deep appreciation from the show comes from the fact that it presents this incredibly compelling story of that thesis. Mm -hmm. And I find deep comfort in rejecting it. Yeah. Because sometimes fiction, maybe even especially dark fiction, is like a balm for the heart because it's not real. Wow. And so I can watch this and be like, yes, I know that's what you think. And you have presented your case brilliantly, but also you're <laughs> wrong. And you can stand there and be wrong in your wrongness. In your wrongness. Right. <laughs> right. But there is something like healing or like it gives me hope from the fact that I don't believe that. Oh. And I never understood that until I went through and did this analysis. So like, Lonnie, I've been oh. watching this show for like 10 years and I just now figured it out. Oh, my God, that is amazing. But that is the most amazing analysis. And I'm not sure that I reject it. <laughs> I kind of think, think that the world is a fucked up dark place where people are just eventually going to take away your bucket. Your bucket is all you get. And somebody's going to take it away. Um, but that just may be my own personal space that I am in at the moment. I like the idea that you reject that idea, but I also, I also love this, this read on this as the world being a cruel and unsafe place for women, right? And women yeah. who offer knowledge, right? I mean, let's not forget, like Eve has all the answers from the, uh, from the senior partners. Cordy had the visions. Fred has the yep. science and knowledge and all of that, right? They bring yep. all this knowledge. They give all this knowledge. They're used up and left behind for it. Yep. yep. And the only one who isn't used up and left behind Harmony. Does Harmony have a lot <laughs> of knowledge? No. No. So it is the it is the dumb women. So it's it's not a good place for the smart women who can see what they're actually in, right? Well, um, I don't think Harmony is necessarily dumb, but Harmony doesn't push back. She's right. Simple. She's and that's yeah, different she, from she's, stupid. Right. Right. But curiosity doesn't drive her or her right. own power doesn't drive her. Now, Harmony's soul has been taken away. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem to mind that much. And oh, God, we'll talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about that in the next episode. Uh, we're going to talk about oh that. God. But yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know. Okay. I'll brood because okay. I've been talking for five no, hours. Oh, my God. It's amazing. So- <laughs> I love it. You just did some of the most brilliant work that has ever been done on this podcast ever. And I am so incredibly proud of it. So thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. It was fun. Uh, not the episode, but the <laughs> right. so, <laughs> A Hole in the World may be the very best of what Angel the Series has to offer. Um, it's also a watcher because it's the central turning point of season five. Mm-hmm. And Angel is forced to make an impossible choice. Fred dies. Illyria is resurrected and forced to join the human world. And as Wesley says, nothing will ever be all right again. Oh, man, and is he right about that? Let's go in to talk about shells. In shells, the team tries desperately to bring Fred back while Illyria hits Wolfman heart like a hammer, then leaves with Knox in tow. They try to get Willow to help, but when Angel calls Giles, Giles hangs up on him because he doesn't trust Wolfman Hart. Angel is determined to get Fred back, but when Gunn goes to the doctor who upgraded his brain to find out what happened, the doctor says that Fred's soul was consumed when Illyria took over. There is no bringing her back. Wesley overhears the conversation and stabs Gunn, not for signing the paper, but for not telling them what he knew before Fred died. 
Angel knocks sense back into Wesley, literally. Illyria is trying to create a portal to her kingdom where she will pull her army in to take over the world. They find her and knocks at the old Hyperion set, which I guess is supposed to be, what, a bank now or something? <laughs> anyway, Wes shoots Knox through the heart and then follows Illyria through the portal where she discovers that her army is long dead. Illyria returns to Los Angeles with no purpose, but she has some of Fred's memories. So she returns to Wolfman Heart and Wesley agrees to teach her right from wrong because she looks like Fred. She asks him about humans, why they keep going, and he tells her. Hope. Shells aired on March 3rd, 2004. It was written and directed by Stephen Estenite. All right, Dr. Jones, here we are again on the second half of this, oh my God, you're killing me story. Um, <laughs> on the perfect happiness scale with Stake This at Zero and Lost Your Soul at Six, where are you with Shells? So I gave this a five, but very much wanted to give it a six. Um, mm-hmm. Because there is there is this beautiful mirrored experience of Wesley and Illyria's grief followed by this like the most sorrowful alliance in the history of the world and it is so moving and Amy Acker and Alexis Denisoff are so goddamn brilliant here oh my god it is an incredible episode but Shells is the one where Angel and I reach a philosophical parting of the ways so I had to take a point from Gryffindor (laughs) Well, this is going to be a really great discussion. I give it a 5.5. This is a good episode. uh, But coming off a hole in the world, it's just hard to give it a six. I have more things that I want to stake. And there's some parts of it that feel a little off. Um, But I don't know. I guess it's better to be a good house in a bad neighborhood than an amazing house in an extraordinary neighborhood. So um, my moments of perfect happiness here. Um, I, first of all, I love Angel's choice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thousands would have died. Spike says thousands would have died if we'd saved her. And Angel says, yeah. And then Spike says she wouldn't have wanted that. And Angel says, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there's this moment, too, where they're talking about Buffy coming back from the dead, about Spike coming back from the dead. Everybody comes back from the dead. Everybody dies once. Right. Uh, death does not have to be the end. Not in our world. Rules can be broken. All you have to do is push hard enough, you know, um, and in a world where reality can be and often is bent. I mean, how can you ever accept anything? How did he let Cordy's death go? without, you know, trying to rip a hole in the universe to undo it, you yeah. know? Um, so I, I like the fact that, of course, again, as I've said before, and as I will say a million times, if you, you know, you w- want to fuel your fiction with your characters having to make really difficult choices because the choices they make will tell you everything about who they are. Um, and so I love that. And that's what makes good fiction. And this moment where Angel has to make that terrible, terrible choice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and for thousands of people, you know, he even thought about it, you know, to hell with the world. Like yep. he, he thought about it. He wanted to do it. And in the end, he couldn't. And um, and that puts him in a space where, again, he's he's carrying the weight of another death. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it was interesting, the philosophical divide between Angel and Wesley here, because mm-hmm. Angel made that decision based on you know, utilitarianism, like you have to do what's good for the most number of people. Wesley, who just shot a dude is very much operating more on, I guess, Kantian ethics of like, what is, you know, what is right for this one situation, like this one person. So they're philosophically Mm -hmm. against the wall with each other. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but after Wesley stabs Gunn, he says to Angel, you know, nothing is all right. Nothing will ever be all right again. He let her die. And Angel mm-hmm. said, so did I. But I think Angel, because the rules of this world can be bent, like, so we've had three major female characters. They have all died. They've all died Mm -hmm. by pretty much having their bodies taken over, you know, in this very sick, misogynistic way. But Mm -hmm. Darla came back twice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes. And Cordelia sort of escaped death. Like, she became part demon, like yeah. the first time she was going to die, she became mm-hmm. part demon. When it was between Cordy and one other person, remember that psychic who was killing her? Angel yeah. just killed the guy with, you know, with the robe arm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But Fred doesn't get that second chance. Like it is over mm-hmm. for her. And, yeah. you know, Darla was a vampire. Cordelia became part demon. Fred is only and has only ever been completely human. Yeah. So maybe it's the completely human that stands no chance in this world. But, you know, I don't know. But I did. I liked Angel's owning that, you know, and saying to Wesley, yeah. I, I let her die, too. And mm-hmm. oh, God. And he made that choice. He made the choice that he had to make. Yeah. Um. So another thing in Perfect Happiness for me is uh, Dark Wesley mm-hmm. and Dark Company. <laughs> Misery <laughs> loves company, I guess. Um. OK, so we have no idea. What any of these people think actually happened in the history to get Wesley as dark as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have Wesley here dealing with tragedy and he absolutely goes dark. I mean, he stabs gun, he shoots Knox. We had him shooting the guy in the leg in the last episode. Um, but once the interesting thing is that he's so consumed by his own loss. Mm-hmm. But once he experiences Illyria's loss with her, it changes him. You know, she's not Fred and he knows that. Yeah. You know, and we have this, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This moment where he says, you didn't feel her die. She was shaking with pain and terrified and so brave. She was better than anyone I've known. Oh, my God. Alexis Denisoff is killing it in these episodes. Um, But I don't think that he's helping Illyria because she looks like Fred, even though that's what he says. I think Mm -hmm. he's helping her because she is empty and so is he. Oh. And she's the only one he can be around, oh, you know, yeah. um, you know, she says, I must learn to walk in this world. I'll need your help. And he just looks at her with these dead eyes and says, you mustn't kill. Not because I mean, he just killed Knox. Right. Like he is not against killing at all. But he just knows that even though this is something that he can't do. That if she wants to learn, these are the things. Like, he knows what right and wrong is, mm-hmm. but he can't live by it because of his own darkness. But yet, here he is, kind of like the fallen teacher. You know, those who can't do teach, which is a horribly stupid thing that a lot of people <laughs> say. But, like, he can't do the right thing. He can't be the right thing. He is broken. You know, he is a shell. And this is, you know, here we are talking about shells. Yeah. You know, she refers to to Fred as the shell, you know, all of that. Um, and he is also just a shell. Like there isn't anything left there, you know. Um, so, you know, she, he says you mustn't kill. And he says, I'm probably the last man in the world to teach you what's right. And she goes, if I abide, you'll help me. And he goes, yes. And she goes, because I look like her. And he says, yes. But I don't think that's it. No, I think you're I don't right. Think it's because he because looks like my her. take like on her. it was, 
like she was saying, you know, at the at the the beginning of this, he calls her by name and she says, you would dare to speak my name. And then here she says, things have names and that's important to you. You know, I exist here now. I must learn to walk in this world. So Mm -hmm. not only does she look like Fred, but she's starting to show curiosity. And I thought. Oh my God. And when she says, she spreads memories and she goes, why can't I I stay? stay? And I was like, no, you don't get to say that. Right. That line from Fred is like watching David Tennant's last episode of Doctor Who which oh I have seen God. 20 times and cry every time when he says, I don't want to go. And I'm like, I, I just can't, oh I can't, it kills I know, me. I know, I know, I know. It's so fucking hard. It's so fucking hard. And then she says, is there anything in this world but grief? And I mean, is there? Yeah. I don't know. And then you have, <laughs> you have Wesley with this answer. And it's so beautifully done because you know he can't feel it. Mm-hmm. But he knows it. It's like coming from an intellectual space rather than a space that actually exists with these things. He says, there's love. There's hope for some. None for him. Right. But there's hope for some. There's hope that you'll find something worthy, that your life will lead you to some joy, that after everything, you can still be surprised. And she says, is that enough? Is that enough to live on? And I love this whole thing because here are these two people who are shells, Mm -hmm. who are left hollow and empty by their experience and yet pulled together because they both know what the other one is experiencing, which is just that hollow, empty shell feeling. Mm -hmm. And yet you mustn't kill. There's hope. There's love. That these are things that the right thing to do, whether you have those things, whether you get those things or not, the right thing to do is to preserve those things for other people. Mm -hmm. And that's how you do what's right. And when nothing you do matters, all that matters is what you do. Yeah. Unless you're Wesley with a pistol. Unless you're Wesley and you've got the double shooter thing. I don't even know what the fuck that's all about. But it is the thing. It's like... It's the thing that Angel believes in that I think Wesley wishes he could believe in. Like, he wants those things to be true. Yeah. But he knows they're not. Well, he knows they're true for other people. He's yeah. not going to get them. Yeah. That's true. You know, he's not, but not going for to get him. Them. Not, but not for, like, right, uh. that, that old song, but not for me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's, um, I, I, that adds such a dark beauty to both of these characters that they've both lost everything and she did Mm -hmm. all of this she did this to him for nothing she has nothing now yeah you know exactly um and it's such a a fruitless grab for power and it's just lost you know and the thing is that like even though she did this terrible thing You know, she's also, he can understand her and she can understand him. And it's the two of them trying to just do what's right. But here's the thing. Like, I wonder how much of this did she actually do, Mm -hmm. right? The the teleportation of her sarcophagus was preordained. Yes. Knox was the one who selected Fred. Right. Not Illyria. Yeah. Like, do you have a choice when you're resurrected? Well, she, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I thought it was her who had 
you know, put it whatever into place to make this happen. Maybe, but, but she didn't pick Fred. And she I mean, like, yeah, Fred, I mean, she was going to raise an army to destroy gonna, the world. Like yeah. she's, she was going right. to come back. She's definitely evil. She was going to, she was right. going to take over somebody. The fact that it's Fred, right. you know, is, right. is, doesn't really matter. It would have been someone, it would have been somebody's yeah. love. But yeah. I guess it's, it's that idea of like, when people with great power make choices, like gun signing the form for customs mm-hmm. you know maybe illyria putting those things into motion yeah centuries ago that it comes down to one very small like small-minded mm-hmm. evil-hearted self-centered terrible person yeah who actually causes all that devastation yeah like because of the the I don't know, the lack of care for other people that people with power showed. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. But like Knox couldn't have done what he did without Gunn's choice. Yeah. And, you know, like, so I don't know. It's just it's very interesting to me that, you know, Illyria wasn't actually the one who selected Fred. No, I didn't select Fred. But Knox, though, I have to say, though, like I hated Knox pretty much from the beginning but oh yeah he is and I mean I still hate him now like he's truly terrible but as a character as a a fanatic as a wild-eyed fanatic he's much more interesting now than he ever was to me throughout the rest of this whole thing you know um and the fact that he chose Fred you know, and that he is his, um, you know, going to be Illyria's, you know, high priest or whatever. And she does not care mm-hmm. at all, you know. Um, no. It's so, I, I like, I, I'm more interested in him. I find him more interesting in these two episodes than he was for the rest of it. And I love this moment, too. Like, Wesley shoots Knox dead in the heart, does not care, right? You know? Um, and then during the fight, Illyria kicks Knox's dead body into Wes. Yeah. And I kind of love that <laughs> moment. And then she goes through the portal. He dives in after, you know? She sees her whole everything gone. And she says, my world is gone. And he goes, now you know how I feel. Yeah. And I... God, I freaking love that. My my favorite Wesley Knox moment was Wesley shows up kind of in shock, yeah. you know, right after mm-hmm. Fred has died. And they, Gunn and Harmony have Knox, you know, mm-hmm. tied up. And Gunn says, we're going to torture him. And Wesley says, good. And then he turns around for a second and says, why? Right. <laughs> he doesn't even care. <laughs> Just that, that <laughs> oh, like, my God. oh, my God. Yeah, and and I love him saying to Gunn, you know, I've been unreasonable because yeah. I've lost all reason. Yeah, and like for Wesley, oh Jesus Christ! And then his his speech when he's talking to Harmony, who yeah. by the way we have to talk about Harmony oh, as will. like doing the emotional oh, labor for everyone on this episode. We are going to talk about Harmony, but, <laughs> but also the two of them in that moment, mm-hmm. I really like. Yes, you know. Mm-hmm. But he says, you know, he's standing in front of that sarcophagus and he says, she was curious. That's why Fred didn't put it into containment immediately. How things work, what makes them special. She was always searching for what other people couldn't see. She was just curious. I think I hate her a little bit for that. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, Oh, God. I know. God. But we also get like in the span of one episode, Mm -hmm. Wesley goes through all five stages of grief, (laughs) Right. Right. 
And I think this has been upgraded to seven, but I'm not a psychologist, so I'm just using the basic five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we see him first in denial, right? Mm-hmm. He's facing Illyria at the beginning. And he says, who is Winifred Burkle? Mm-hmm. Like trying to pull that back out right. of her, you know? Mm-hmm. And then anger. So he attacks her with the axe. He shoots people. He stabs people. Mm-hmm. And then bargaining. So he's trying to convince Illyria to go back to sleep until the humans kill each other off. Like you can return to the world you deserve. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and then into full depression. There's no Fred anymore. There's nothing left but a shell. Nothing will ever be all right again. Mm-hmm. To acceptance. And at the end, when Illyria says, she cannot return to you, and Wesley says, I know. And she says, if I abide, you will help me. And he says, yes. Yeah. So, like, we see him make that full grief arc Mm -hmm. in one episode. And it was so well done. Oh, my God. I know. It's so unbelievably beautiful. And Illyria. I mean, Illyria is set up as she comes in to be another big bad bringing on the end of the world. You know, and then this twist she loses everything. She loses her mm-hmm. army, her home, her people. It was all for nothing. And that brings her into this team as a powerful orphan, you know? Yeah. Um, and one with without an understanding of her place. Like she's, you know, one of these old demons, the evil from before evil was evil, you know, um, all of that <laughs> kind of stuff. And yet once she doesn't, once she can't do what she is supposed to do, once you are divorced from your your purpose you know Mm -hmm. like good and evil cease to have meaning it's not about doing evil for evil's sake she was going to take over the world and now she can't and everything that was hers is gone she has nothing you know um that is such a beautiful turn for this character in this storyline, you know? Um, and Amy Acker, of course, is amazing. I love in the beginning, right after he tries to take off her head with the ax, she goes, bleed at me no longer. <laughs> We're done. Like, I <laughs> love <Yes>. that. Um, <laughs> you know, and the thing is that, like, I, I love that Amy Acker gets to do this thing. The, mm-hmm. you know, monster takes over the body of the person you love thing is something I could do without, you know, just because of my personal experience. Yeah. But um, yeah, but it is, you know, because it's a terrible thing to look at the face of somebody you love and realize that they're not they're not there. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a really terrible experience. So for me, like, it's very, very hard to to watch these episodes and like I feel them so deeply and I think you know my experience is so singular and unique I don't think a lot of people have that you know and yet it is so the the devastation of that is so true to the experience that it's it's just so incredibly powerful and so difficult but so well done and I freaking love it and I hate it and I love it it's just so great yeah but Illyria well, is so powerful and so wonderful and I love seeing Amy Acker just kill this performance oh I mean too and and again like Drogon we get an immediate sense of who this character is um, and I love that she has this absolute steel hard yeah. cold badassery you know this focus that's about to get completely shaken. But she also has an inherent sense of sarcasm. Yeah. Um, so like Nock says, I worship you. And she says, yes, I know, worship. <laughs> and then she looks at him and says, my last claw Hazan was taller. Like it's <laughs> it's kind of great. Like, And 
but we see that she has she has great perception. Mm-hmm. She is processing an entire new world yeah. in a matter of seconds. Mm-hmm. Like she is understanding things and seeing things with a level of clarity that yeah. and and she has this deep historical knowledge and this deep like she is she's brilliant. Yeah. It's like an evil library badass come to life mm-hmm. almost and when Angel walks in the room, she immediately knows who and what he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she says, a warrior. I was beginning to wonder if this world was void of your kind. She knows Angel and Spike are vampires at first sight. Yeah. You know, and and she can kick ass for real. And she throws Angel out of the window, just like he threw that vampire out of Lindsay's window <laughs> in the pilot. Threw two windows. <laughs> right? I threw mean, the window. And powerful. he comes out and hits the floor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But you're like, yeah, okay, talk about like a game changer. Mm-hmm. This is a different world yeah. now. Yeah. Like it's the same building. It's the same people. It's a totally different world. And Angel says she's super strong and she can alter time. And Harmony says, well, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I love Harmony. I love her so much. You're like, yeah, when your big bad is too powerful, it's yeah. just not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> She's right. And I and I like her kind of implied curiosity. Like when somebody says Wolfram and Hart, mm-hmm. Illyria says the wolf, ram, and heart. And like we know that from Pylea. Yeah. We know that that was a different thing. And she says, in my time, they were weak, barely above the vampire. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, then I wonder if this is one more reason why this war has been brooding between Wolfram and Hart and Angel. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe there is this huge, deeply historical animosity between the wolf, the ram, and the heart and vampires. Right. But Angel's a good vampire with a soul. Which would make it even worse guess, if you were the capital yeah. of evil. Yeah, that's you know? very true. That's very true. But then I think she offers a thesis statement like to match angels Mm -hmm. that is so accurate for this entire series. When Illyria says to him, you seek a confrontation, you cannot win. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you got it. There's the whole show. Yep. In a sentence. Yeah. Like it's. No, it is. She's so good. And that's the thing. It's not about winning. It's about fighting. I mean, that's one of the things Angel does that in in amends in Buffy. Mm -hmm. You know, you fight and you keep fighting and it's not about winning. Or I think it was Gingerbread where he said that to to Buffy. You fight whether or not you're going to win. You still fight. Yeah. Because you have to, you know. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's. Oh, God. And I love those philosophical statements. They're so, so great. Um, I love what we get, too, in this episode with Spike. You know, we started it in the last Mm -hmm. episode. Do you think we should start annoying other people, right, where they're breaking up, you know? (laughs) Um, But the way he fights both with Angel and beside Angel is this beautiful contradiction. And Spike, of course, has always been just a mass of contradictions. But I love this moment when he decides to stay. But I love this moment when he decides to stay. He says, I don't really like you. I don't really like you. Suppose I never will. But this is important. What's happening here? Fred gave her life for it. Least I can do is give what's left of mine. The fight's coming, Angel. We both feel it. And it's going to be a hell of a lot bigger than Illyria. Things are going to get ugly. I 
that's what I live. And it's yeah. such a statement of purpose for Spike. And I mean, the thing is, the angel, both as a character and as a series, is always about like, what is your purpose? What is it that you're mm-hmm. doing? You know, and here is his purpose to be where the dirty fight is, you know? Yeah. Which I absolutely love. Um, And then, of course, you know, talking about vampires, I love vampire harmony with with no soul is better than most people with souls. Here we have harmony empathizing, comforting, taking care of the people around her. I mean, was Harmony an empath? Is this what happens when an empath becomes a vampire? You know? Um, Harmony, Fred's my friend. We went out for drinks all the once. And if Poindexter here had anything to do with hurting her, I'm in for a big pound of flesh. Like, he, she wants to go after him, not for a bloodlust, but because she loved Fred. Fred was her friend, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And when she comforts both Wesley and Gunn, you know, she doesn't have a soul. You know, her sweetness comes from someplace else. And I find that fascinating. You know, um, and I love this moment, too, where she says to Wesley, the girl of your dreams loved you. That's more than most people get. And I mean, oh, my God. I know. I know. I keep wondering, like, where does that sweetness come from? Like, where is she pulling that from? Right. Um, But she had this line from her I love so much. I just want to update my LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Um, she says, come on, I've got a degree in tearing things up. I know. Oh, my God. I love her. (laughs) Love it so much. I love her. And she's so interesting as a vampire because of her ability to still care about other people. And if you look at who she was when she was human, like in high school, she was meaner and colder in high school as a human than she is now as a vampire without a soul. Um, yeah. And I find that so fascinating. I love how deeply she's got like that moment with Gunn where Gunn is just devastated and she just pats mm-hmm. his shoulder. You know, she's just there taking yeah. care of him. It's so incredibly sweet. It's so good. Um, and I and I do like what we get from Gunn here, even though it's, you know, he is living with horrific consequences. Yeah. Um, but when he goes in to confront Dr. Evil... Um, I mean, I did find it fascinating, too, that this big bad doctor is like, I never did get used to the sight of blood. Right. Um, you know, but Gunn Gun says, take it all back. Take more. Make me a vegetable. I don't care. Just bring her back. Mm-hmm. And then the evil doc is like, there's nothing to bring back. Her soul was consumed by the fires of resurrection. Everything she was is gone forever. And we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And then Wesley just steps in and says, is there something you'd like to tell me? Charles. Oh my God. And he's back to Charles, mm-hmm. right? And this, oh Jesus, it's just so freaking good. Oh my it's God. so good. I know. I know. It's so incredibly good. It's so incredibly good. Um, so staking. I got a couple of things mm-hmm. to stake. Um, one is Lorne's, you know, inconsistent powers on the Fritz. Right. Um, Ever since, uh, I don't know, mid season four, he's been listening to people saying they've been getting past him. He, you know, they just don't work. Right. So here we have Mm -hmm. Lorne, who had these incredible powers of perception, who is an empath demon. Right. And his powers are just gone. Right. And we're not even treating that like it's a thing. There was no event, no um, specific thing that took away Lauren's powers. We just decide sometimes it doesn't work so that we don't have to explain why they don't work. Spike got a chip in his head. We explained why Spike couldn't bite people anymore. You know, 
we couldn't do that for Lorne. We couldn't give him a story. Yeah. We couldn't make him go yeah. dark with the loss of his ability to do this effectively. You know, what if erasing Connor screwed up Lorne and he was onto it, trying to sniff out the truth, find out what happened, figure out what was missing, that it was actually what Angel did that took away Lorne's powers and made him go dark. Why can't we give Lorne a fucking story? Instead, he's just what this if, background character. Oh, what if the deal that Angel made actually pulled power out of Lorne to make that memory to fuel spell it? Work? Sure. Yes. Sure. And that's a consequence of something that a decision that Angel made. We could have been having that story on the back burner this whole time, but instead, we're just like, eh, sometimes his powers don't work because we don't want to explain why he can't tell when people are lying. Um, or mm-hmm. when people are up to no good. And um, I I would have loved it if we had a real story for Lorne. He just sits in the background. We don't give him anything, you know. And it's yeah. such a disappointment because I love Andy Hallett. And I love what he does with this character. And I love Lorne. And I want to see him be given the the respect and the narrative weight to actually have a yeah, role. Especially because he was so great in yeah. A Hole in the World. Yeah. Oh, my God. That uh, moment with you. Yes. Oh, yeah. God. I know. I really, I, know. I would have loved that. I would have loved that. Um, but unfortunately, we don't get it. The other thing is Fred's soul. Uh, mm-hmm. Fred's soul was consumed by the fires of resurrection. And, uh, yeah, that is just gone. Just gone. Uh-huh. And there's yeah. nothing. And there's, she will never exist. She how how do you do that and i know yeah. that you have a lot of very strong feelings about this so i'm gonna let you take the stake and run i with do it. Mm-hmm. because here's the thing like if i had all five seasons of angel yeah and only one stake yeah this is where it would go yeah because i mean fred's physical transformation to illyria is amazing mm-hmm. amy acker is incredible in that role mm-hmm. illyria is a great character and as much as fred's death like destroys my heart i would be okay with it in the larger story of angel except for two things yeah um first you know fred is the third woman and the last of the major female characters to be killed via some sort of mystical yes. pregnancy to have her body taken over and destroyed and give birth to itself mm-hmm. after darla and cordy both died that way and hell cordelia went through it twice right but her soul being destroyed like fred didn't mm-hmm. just die right the core of her was obliterated and this is a show about the human soul yes and we have never seen another situation where a soul is destroyed right and if fred's soul with all of her goodness and all of her humanity and all of her flaws can be destroyed what chance does anyone else have mm-hmm. and if you can't fight for your soul what is the point in fighting yeah like this is the biggest line the angel of the series crosses for me mm-hmm. like it is we are we are philosophically like we are done like <laughs> we are never getting back together yeah it's like done and i mean the show you know makes a great argument for that perspective but even Angel says at the beginning of this episode, the soul is what matters. Yeah. You know, something violated her, crawled inside her, used it up. Mm-hmm. But we're just supposed to be, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, her, yeah. her soul can just be destroyed right. in the, the resurrection flames. Fuck that. So that we can excuse them for not trying to bring her back because it's impossible. Yep. It's a lost cause. Like, yeah. And I mean, having this be... 
you know, the third mystical pregnancy that kills one of the major, you know, female characters. This is something we do over and over and over again. And yep. we're, we're revisiting this well with these women. And I don't think it's deliberate. You know, I think they just keep coming up with these ideas for the women and why, you know, and these mm -hmm. are the women that bring the knowledge, you know, that bring the understanding. Yep. Um, all of it is, um, yeah, yeah, it's a bit much. It's a bit much. It's kind yeah. of hard to, that is a, a slap in the face. It really is. And not enough that she just died, you know, but that her soul right. is lost and we will never, ever, ever see her again. Why can't I stay? You know, I mean, yeah. Jesus Christ. Everything she was. Everything gone. she was is just I'm gone. like, no, I do not accept that as an acceptable rule of this universe. Like, I refuse to believe it's true. Yeah. I think they're wrong. I think her soul is up there with Madame Curie mm -hmm. and some badass scientists and she is having a good time in whatever form she is taking next and whatever, but fuck yeah. that noise. Yeah. No, it's pretty terrible. My research mode uh, for uh, shells is is pretty thin. Um, it's basically just that's the Hyperion, right? Like where they're fighting in this like bank because there's a, a security guard there and it's supposed to be a bank, but it is clearly the Hyperion. Am I losing my mind? Is it not the same exact set? If it was, it completely fooled me because I'm hearing really? you say that. And I'm like, what did I miss? No, but it I looked don't... exactly like the Hyperion to me, like the whole layout of it. Everything. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I, just I don't didn't... know. Because I, I was watching it. I'm like, why are they at the Hyperion? This is where the portal is. Oh, and I'm like, well, maybe. But except there was a security guard. Why would there be a security oh, guard but... at an abandoned hotel? It was supposed to be. I think but... they reused the set and tried to make it into a bank or something. I don't know what the hell that's about. Or an old but temple. wouldn't it be interesting if it is a bank where the Hyperion used to be? Because I, yeah. like that location of the Hyperion, I always thought was important. Well, it's got to be mystically important. And of course, like that would be like, so why wouldn't they go back? Like, why use the Hyperion? I swear to God, they use the Hyperion set. I've gotta, I got to find out. I got to go look it up somewhere and see if anybody has an answer <laughs> to this. Because uh, to me, maybe it was just me, but it looked like the Hyperion. I'm like, well, okay, she goes back to the Hyperion. The Hyperion has been so important throughout this whole thing. And lots of mystical things right. have happened there. It's basically like the library at, the, at Sunnydale High School over the Hellmouth, you know? Right, and right. Um, so the idea that they would go back to the Hyperion makes perfect sense to me, except that they tried to make it not the Hyperion, except it looks exactly like the Hyperion. It is the Hyperion oh, that's set. really interesting. Um, yeah. I wish it had been the Hyperion. It would have made sense. It would have been, yeah, that they would go yeah. back to the Hyperion, you know. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that had me so distracted during that whole scene <laughs> that I was like, wait, is this the Hyperion? No, it's not the Hyperion, but it's supposed to be. But it is the Hyperion, though, right? Um, I don't oh, know. I'm glad go back and you noticed it, it. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it's just me, but no, I but, swore it was but the Hyperion. even if it's not, like, I'm pretending now that it is, and yeah, I like it. I think it should have been. I think it should have been. I think thematically going back to the place where Fred was, where she wrote on all mm -hmm. the walls, you know, like, maybe there was something there. Working with portals, right? You know, I mean, that yeah. was kind of Fred's thing. Um, so all of that, and I'm going to brood. Shells is a devastating episode with so many great moments, and it begins our plunge into the final story arc of the series. You need to watch it because it's narratively important, but also you need to watch it because it's some of the best storytelling on television. All right, so Dr. Jones, here we get to what is making you still thirsty this week. Is there anything? Oh, no, I'm, I'm too dehydrated from tears oh, to be thirsty. I know. <laughs> I know. 
just very oh, it's sad. So sad. It's so sad. What's your favorite part? Oh God, Wesley reading to Fred while she dies, which oh sounds God. terrible. No, it doesn't. But, but that, that scene. Oh God, yeah. I, I mean, Angel as a whole. I think of Darla saying, "God doesn't want you, but I still do." Yeah. And I think of this moment with Fred and Wesley, and then one more thing that's coming, and yeah. those are like my three big points. Yeah. But this one just, oh God, it kills me. It was like created specifically to destroy me. Oh, honey. <laughs> what about you? What's your favorite part? Um, I love Wesley and Illyria at the end of Shells. It just kills mm-hmm. me. Hope is all you have. And they've both lost their hope. You know, is that enough? Is that enough to live on? You know, and he can't even answer her. But the thing is that it does bring back this kind of noir sentiment, which is something that we've got, you know, we've got that noir darkness in Angel. And it started out as very much a noir story in the first season. And this idea that, you know, the that the the detective is corrupted, you know, by the darkness, mm-hmm. but that they can save the innocent, even though they can never once they can never again be innocent. They can save the innocent, and that's kind of like at the heart of a noir story, you know. And um and so here we have these two people, you know, or a person and a old ancient demon, um, who've lost <laughs> everything and they don't have hope and they don't have love and they don't have the things that people live for. But they're going to try to preserve it for, you know, for the people who can have it. Um, And that there's something about them having that emptiness and being able to connect with each other over such a devastating loss that, Mm -hmm. um, that, I don't know, there's something about that that just really speaks to me. And I love it. Yeah, me too. Oh, me too. I mean, it's it's one of these episodes where if I just need to cry, I will go watch A Hole in the World because it will do it. Every single time. Frickin' devastating. But we do want to hear about your favorite parts, too. So to join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag Still Dead. Still Dead and everything Chippers Media produces is made free and ad-free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to call the forgotten books and find the deeper well. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. This episode of Still Dead was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Dead is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our December producers, Shelly, Abigail, Kristen, Noel, Jonathan, Alyssa, Alice, Erica, Sarah, Kevin, and Heather. And this week's special message for our power producers. There's hope for some. There's hope that you'll find something worthy that your life will lead you to some joy, that after everything, you can still be surprised. Visit patreon.com slash chippers to find out how you too can become a Still Dead producer. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or walk with heroes. But don't forget, you are one. We'll be back next time with season five, episodes 17 and 18, Underneath and Origin, both of which are watchers. Until then, Bleed at me no longer. We're done. <laughs>